We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. The Spurs culture, you know, 20 years of 50 plus win seasons, they're not going to encourage guys to really speak out and voice their displeasures on certain things. Exactly. We just listened to what Pop had to say and what he wanted us to do. You know what it's like guarding one of the best players in the league, and then you got to sprint your lane and got to turn, pivot, raise up, and then go back and guard. Like, that's a long 36 minutes. For sure. And I think the best way to attack certain scores is to make them work on defense, too. Coming from New York and having that chip on your shoulder, it helped me with have that continue to have that edge and that attitude and that belief in myself that I, that I could play with anybody else. Welcome to the Kwame Brown episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode 38. Couldn't think of any other 38, so shout out to Kwame. Um, it's also our Christmas episode, Christmas edition. We're recording early because some of us play on Christmas. Some of us have uh, other plans to enjoy the holidays, spend time with family. So really looking forward to that. Jordan will be joining the Pull Up Pod shortly, but right now we have a special guest. Um, my favorite part of Pull Up is the introductions. Born June 22nd, 1987, currently in the NBA. Played more than 145 games with 123 wins as a Tar Heel. The only player in the history of the A8 of the ACC with 1,000 points, 500 rebounds, 250 assists, 153 pointers, 150 blocks, and 150 steals. I'm not done yet. He won an NCAA championship his senior year. He was then drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and, and with the 46 pick in the 2009 draft. During the 2013 NBA Finals, Green set an NBA record for most three-point field goals made in a final series. He then won a championship with the Spurs, being just the third player from UNC to win an NCAA championship and an NBA championship. The others, James Worthy, Michael Jordan. Without further ado, selected to second team all defense in 2016-2017. If you don't know, now you know. Danny Green, welcome to the Pull Up Pod. Man, jeez, thanks, man. I appreciate it. That's a hell of an introduction, man. That's probably the best one I've ever gotten in life. That's what CJ does. I don't know how you got all that stuff there quick, man. All the stats. You got all the stats, man. Hey, man. You got, <laughs> hey, shout out to Google, man, for holding me down all these years, man. But I think that my favorite part about going on people's uh, shows is listening to, like, all the accomplishments. Because you forget about a lot of stuff. Like, you probably didn't even know it's just you and James Worthy. You, you probably yeah, had no man, idea. I'll- a lot of stuff I had no idea. I didn't. I'm like, what? Where did you? I'm like, I didn't know that. But that was interesting, man. That was, that was really good introductions. I've never. I've been to some good places and introduced pretty good. That was probably the best one I've gotten thus far in life. Man, I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. And we appreciate you coming on the pull up pod, man, and spending some time with us here for this Christmas episode. I'm sure our listeners are going to appreciate it. And now we can bring bring in a new audience. You know, tapping into that uh, Canadian market. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me, man. The Canadian market is, is awesome, man. It's a lot of fun. The fans are, you know, fanatical, and I'm enjoying it. I love them. It's great, and um, hopefully continue, the, you know, throughout this season. So let's jump right into Christmas, since this is the Christmas episode. Give me your favorite Christmas gift ever, and then just kind of talk about historically what you've done on Christmas with the family, watching basketball, meals you like to eat, and how it's kind of changed with you basically 
providing Christmas for people now with the position we're in today. Yeah. Spending that bread. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a lot different now of, you know, believing in Santa Claus and becoming Santa Claus. Um, but um, it's been fun, you know, only even as a kid and even now I'll be able to provide for the family and bring gifts to the table for them. But, you know, as a kid, probably my favorite gift ever was probably when I was about middle school or elementary school or I got a drum set. Uh, I know my parents was happy to give it to me, but not too happy that I got it because I was, you know, beating on that damn thing and making all types of noise throughout the house. But I got a drum set, and, of course, it was, you know, every time you know, lose a bike or a bike is stolen, I would get a bike, and I would be excited about that. So um, my all-time favorite was probably the drum set. Drum set? I had no idea. So that's given us some insight into DG's childhood, playing the drums. Did you play in the band in high school, or did you just kind of put that behind you? Yeah, a little bit of snare, man. You had to, you had to choose in middle school whether you could do band, orchestra, or, uh, you know, percussion or, you know, so I, I did snare drum and uh, luckily so got into it. I wasn't good or anything, but, you know, but so becoming Santa is probably more, it's been more challenging and learning people and figuring out what kind of gifts, but it said it's a blessing that we'll do so. And so we have also had to sacrifice our time uh, and our holidays not being there all the time with our families, but, you know, doing what we do, to be able to call this a job is a blessing, but we'll provide for them and, you know, put smiles on their faces Christmas has always been amazing and fun time. I, I agree. I think that Christmas is a great time to be with family and, and spend time with loved ones and kind of reflect on a year passing by, you know, as you head into the new year. Obviously for us, it's changed because we're either playing or practicing or traveling on Christmas essentially every year. So yeah. you know, the outlook has kind of changed on it, but being able to give back to the community, being able to help those who are in positions of need is, is something that no, you can't really explain. It's definitely a great feeling. I actually have my Christmas party tonight with some kids from the Boys and Girls Club, so looking forward to going bowling. Awesome. Good luck with that, man. Good luck with that. Nah, I appreciate it. It's, it's, it's one of the highlights, you know, going bowling with the kids, trying to get my wins up, and just spend some time with the with the young ones. So you, you talked about your love for Toronto. Obviously, you played in a, in a, a unique culture in San Antonio. How's the transition been? It's been easy. The organization's been great with uh, bringing us in and treating us like family and uh, helping us adjust. Uh, the fans have been great as well, said helping us adjust. But uh, I've always loved Toronto. Even before I even moved here and became a Raptor, I've always visited in the summertime um, for like the last 10 or so years. I always did a camp up here. It's far up and, you know, where there's no cell service, like in Huntsville. But Canadians are always so nice. Uh, the city was nice. Always a lot to do. It was very similar to New York to me. But even when we visited when I was playing for another team, you know, it was one of the favorite cities that you know, most guys like to go to and, and, and visit because of, you know, how much stuff they have to do and how diverse it is. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. So the transition was easy. Well, they made it easier, and it was great because uh, I also had a lot of time. I was lucky because the trade happened in the summertime. Uh, so I could imagine being traded mid-season or, you know, any time during the season it would be kind of hectic and crazy trying to find a place to live, and adapt, and adjust, and learn the system. So... I was able to learn the system and, you know, go into mini camps with the team early on before the season started and get a head start on things and also find a place to live and not have to worry about doing that during the season. So uh, the adjustment period is, was great. It was easy. It was fun. And I've enjoyed it, you know, all the way thus far up until this point. Where were you at? So I was I was actually in China when the when the trade happened. Do you remember where you were at and kind of what your thoughts were early on in the process throughout the trade? Because I think it's it's turned out to be from the outside looking in, it's turned out to be great. You're having a you're having a great year. You're shooting well from three. You're playing well. You're showing some versatility. Yeah, it, it has worked out. It's been a great situation for me. I'm adjusting pretty well. But 
when the trade happened, I was in New York with my family. Uh, I was actually sleeping like eight in the morning, seven in the morning or something like that. I was getting calls. I'd woken up to miss like three or four missed calls from my agent and pop and close friends. And I'm like, all right. And I see, uh, like, you see that many calls from your agent and pop, your, your coach, you like, you know, something's going down. So I returned the phone call to pop and he tells me, you know, the trade that has happened, RC has made a trade. So, and so, you know, things were quiet. And I mean, I, I didn't know they didn't give me a heads up or anything, but I kind of could see that it was going in that direction by seeing the guys that were added to the roster, the guys that they're picking up and the people they were drafting that, you know, somebody else is going to be involved in that trade if Kawhi was to be traded and that it would be a wing player and probably me. But I did not know. I was pretty much, you know, surprised. Like 90% of it was a shock. But I was at the crib in New York waking up to miss phone calls like 7, 8 in the morning and just getting a bunch of thousands of calls from media people. Even for both, the best ones that I, the ones I picked up were the ones from my teammates. You know, the guys that checked in on me, LaMarcus, Manu, even Timmy, Tony, like those guys checking in, you know, and, and the staff, they always wish you the best and say, you know, we're going to miss you on this side, man. You were great, et cetera. So that love right there made me feel good. But I said it was a win-win all around for me being in Toronto, knowing that they were a team that was successful already in the East and that were pretty good. And the fact that it was closer to home in New York and the fact that it was a city that I always loved to visit and go to. So, you know, it was a great situation. So I was a little so it was a mixed feelings, mixed emotions. I was sad that I was leaving San Antonio a little bit, but excited about the new chapter and being in a new city. Danny, um, what has been the biggest adjustment for you? Because shout out to Inside the Green Room. I love the pod, and I know you said on there recently that thank you. The yeah, for sure. But I, I what you said about the milk situation <laughs> in a bag, yeah, that stood out to me. Can you explain that to our American listeners? It's, it's really hard. I mean, it's. I guess it's hard, not hard, but it's weird for Americans to grab their, grasp their head around the concept of milk com- coming in a bag and purchasing in a bag. And it's not all of Canada. It's just certain parts, I think, uh, in Ontario where they sell bag milk. And you have to, like, buy a container to put it in and, like, cut the bag. And they keep the milk in the bag while it's in the container. It's a weird process, but that's just one of the adjustments. Um, but obviously, everything here is, is like you're in another country. You kind of forget that. You use different Canadian money. You have to go through customs every time you travel. Um, every time we travel, we go through customs, but using different money, you're using Celsius, you're using kilometers. So those are probably the biggest adjustments of, you know, everyday life of, of if they telling you certain things and you're like, I don't know what the hell that distance is in kilometers, man. You have to tell me miles or feet or inches, you know what I'm saying? Or they say, oh, turn the temperature. I don't know what to turn it to in Celsius. You know, it, those small adjustments you know, are weird, but the everyday, you know, weird like adjustments that I've had to, uh, I guess kind of adapt to a little bit here and there. Well, I still still adapting to, but you know, it's, it's just been weird for me. You talked about adjustments. I think that it's always unique to hear about people's stories on on you know where they were at or what was happening. Obviously, trade rumors are part of the game. Oladipo told me when he when he was traded, he's actually flying from a kids camp. Um, he was in the air. He had a kids camp. When he landed, turned his phone off airplane mode. Wow. He had been traded from the Thunder. So it's always unique to get that perspective of, of players. But in your in your particular instance, similar to Oladipo's, he gets traded with Sabonis. You get traded with Kawhi. Does it is it easier when you get traded with a teammate mm-hmm. or a friend? I think that that usually makes the transition a little bit more smoothly. Does that kind of help where you guys are both figuring things out? You're figuring out the kilometers versus the miles, figuring out the milk in the bag, where to shop at, where to get your crib at. Does it help when you have somebody to kind of go through those things with? Oh, definitely, man, definitely. Um, um, for another instance, like when we get stuff shipped here, 
a lot of stuff we can't even ship across the border. Like we have to ship it to Buffalo and drive and go pick it up. So a lot of times we're, we're figuring out all that thing, like all those things together at the same time. It's like, all right, we got to get our car here. Oh, we got to ship it to so-and-so's house in Buffalo. And then we have to drive to Buffalo and bring it across the border or, you know, getting your pets here or whatever it may be, you know, getting something set up here or, you know, figuring out where to shop, where to go. And how did, how long does it take to get here? How's traffic on your side of town? So all those things, you know, different instances where we're learning together. And, you know, beside the fact that we play together and make someone comfortable in the locker room and speaking and talking and, you know, knowing certain theories and, you know, principles and philosophies, those are easy and trying to incorporate those to our teammates. But so that even with outside, you know, the, the locker room and outside the off the court, we're still learning and, and helping each other figure out how to live in this new country or this other country. Two follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. Pets. I heard you're a snake guy. Just elaborate on this. Are you a snake guy? How many snakes do you have? I wouldn't say I'm a snake guy. I would say like I'm an animal guy. Um, but I do have snakes. I had two. One recently just, um, he, he died. He had, got sick. They, it actually is a common thing. They get sick and pass away. Some stomach wasn't good. But um, I like all animals. The reason why I chose snakes to start with one of my first pets, um, I do have two dogs. But because they're so low maintenance, all you have to do is, you know, feed them like once a month and then give them water and heat. So I can travel on the road and have to worry about them. You know, I could leave them at months at a time if I need to. With dogs and cats, you can't do that, you know. So when I was single, I, I, could, I didn't have enough time or I have anybody help me take care of a dog or a cat. So the reason why I got a reptile, so I got a snake. They're very easy. And I have one right now. I had two, the ones that recently passed. And probably going to wait until I guess a new batch of litter, the guy that I know who does breeding before I get another one. But, um, you know, it's a common thing for snakes to pass away, but I wouldn't say I'm a snake guy. So I like all animals, like going to zoo and learning about animals like Discovery Channel, wildlife, all that type of stuff. So it's not just snakes. Mm, Toronto's got a dope zoo. Yeah, they got a lot of different things out here. You got to check them out. Danny, you, were you on the Panthers, right? Not Gauchos growing up? Yes. Panthers, Long Island Panthers. They were the Long Island Panthers, and then they changed them to the New York Panthers. Right, right. So take us back a little bit because obviously, you know, you go to Carolina, you win a title, but you also were number one in the country at St. Mary's, I believe, at one point, and you obviously were on a big-time AAU club. So what was the difference of being the number one high school team in the country to being the number one college team and winning a title? Like, I don't know, that – there's not a lot of guys that have that. Yeah, my stand at number one in high school was very short. We were probably number one for like two days. We were number two in the country for quite a bit. But we got to the championship. I think the number one team had lost like a day or two before we had played a championship game. And I think we had lost and we dropped out. But um, you know, college is way tougher, way harder. And obviously, so many more schools. I was not saying there's a lot of schools in high school too, but the Division One at that level is just a big difference and being on national TV and having you know pros, professional guys you're playing against and playing with you, it's a big difference. In my school, I was lucky enough to play with a lot of other guys that play Division One level, um, but not everybody went to college for free. Not everybody was going to the next level, or you know, and not everybody we played against was going to the next level, especially within our conference or locally. So you know, night in night out in college, you're playing against professional you know guys, guys that are going to be pro, whether it's an NBA or overseas. And that competition is just way different. And being number one, you know, in that aspect, I think is a, is a bigger achievement in, in college than it is in high school. I was listening to one of your pods recently with God, Sham God, and he was saying that, mm-hmm. you know, when you make it from New York, 
you feel like a like a different level of confidence. How did that, and how has that manifested itself for you, Danny? Um, it helped. I mean, it helped a ton for me, confidence wise. Like, so you come from New York back then, anyway. Back then, it was like the mecca. So you felt like you know, if you were one of the top guys there, that you can play with anybody, or you could make it out anywhere. Um, but then you realize you go to other states, you go to other, you know places throughout the country, and you realize how how good a lot of these guys are. And so I didn't start to my senior year in, in college, and you realize you get to play get behind some of those guys. But you know, coming from New York and having that chip on your shoulder, it helped me with have that continue to have that edge and that attitude and that belief in myself that I, that I could play with anybody or that I'm better than the guys that I, or I can be better than the guys in front of me. So I can to work and do what I was supposed to do. So. Yeah, playing so back then in New York it helped a great deal, a ton of you know my confidence still to this day, and making it you know to the next level, and and, and you know I guess breaking a, a roster or breaking a rotation and get into a rotation of a roster spot or earning a starting position. So you know Sham guys said back then he said they were way different then they were definitely way more cocky then, but you know my generation was kind of similar too. But you know it's it's all fun and and all, but. When it comes down to it, you know, it comes down within the person. I guess the habits you build from your high school coaches, your college coaches. I've learned a lot from my high school coach and Coach Williams, and also Cop too. But you know, I said where you're growing up, born and raised, and where you're from, that that helps somewhat. But you have to, you know, continue to use this resource that you've had as you've grown up and you know, taking each step forward. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the New York players definitely have a lot of swag, a lot of confidence usually have crazy handles. You're one of the rare, I'd say you and Tobias being from Long Island, one of the rare New York players with jump shots, yeah. With, yeah. <laughs> with pull-ups, be able to hit pull-ups and threes. I used to, I used to dribble a little bit more, but I stopped, man. That was, was good for me and, then, and stayed on that route. But, um, yeah, handles is definitely the most of New York known for a thing. Um, not, I guess not so much anymore. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's changed. I mean, New York, they got well-rounded players with, with everything now. I think the, the players coming out now, they got a little bit of everything. Like Cole Anthony, some of those guys you know, around that New York area, having to handle, having a little pull-up, explosive, athletic. But We're trying to bring basketball back to New York as much as we can. A lot of guys travel and leave, go to different schools now in different states. So it's hard to you know say one particular state is better than the next. You know, everybody's going to the Oak Hills and those other schools. Right. So many prep schools are dominating and poaching kids. Yeah. I, I used the term poach, but uh, kids are choosing to go to go the prep route and play against better competition sometimes, more oftentimes than not, is to play that nationally ranked schedule and be able to travel and essentially get used to being a college player before you're in college. Yeah. I always like to talk about player stories, uh, guest stories, um, because there's always trials tribulations there's always ups and downs your story is very unique um in a sense that you play for the Erie Bayhawks you play for the Reno Bighorns you play for the Austin Toros um you 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 had a unconventional route winning a national championship and then you know bouncing around and then finding a niche and carving out a great NBA career just for some of our listeners out there at what point did you doubt yourself because I, I think the important thing that we all go through is we make a decision. We go through doubt. We go through that time where we're like, damn, is this for me? Can I do this? Do I belong? Like I went through it when mm-hmm. I broke my foot. I went through it when I, when I would have bad games and I'd be like, you know, trying to get a scholarship to go to college. And I'm like, man, like, am I, am I good enough? Is this going to work for me? So at what point did you have that? Can I do this? And at what point did you kind of lock in and, and, and really say to yourself, like, this is it. I'm going to put everything I can into this 
rather regardless of the situation, I'm going to make this work. Yeah, like you said, um, my story is a little different. It's up and down. Um, after college, it didn't start till my senior year in college, and then you know, being cut from a team, bouncing around the G League, well, the D League then now it's the G League, playing overseas and trying to find my way. Um, point where I was, you know, really doubt myself the most was probably when I was at home for about two months. So I was cut from Cleveland, and then I went to San Antonio and worked out for them twice. They signed me for about a week and cut me again, and I was at home for two months. The phone wasn't ringing. Nobody was, you know, looking or asking about me or wanting me on the team. So I was at home for like the first time in a while for Christmas and Thanksgiving and being with the family. They weren't sure if I was depressed or not and I had weird hours of sleeping all day and being up all night, but I was still working out. Um, but so being, so being in New York and coming from there and working out with those certain trainers, you know, helped keep that edge and that motivation and the attitude that knowing that I belonged uh, and knowing how, you know, how good I was or how good I could be. Um, just like so you, it was only a matter of time before you got your opportunity. Uh, you knew how good you were and you knew that you could play in this league and, and you belong and you're going to continue to keep pushing. So I, I continued to do that until the opportunity came. And once the team gave me an opportunity to work out with them and, and make the team, um, you know, it doesn't stop there until, you know, you get another opportunity to break the rotation with somebody, 82 games, somebody's going to get hurt. At some point, you're going to get a, an opportunity to showcase yourself. But um, so there was really some down times when I was at home for about two months before I signed to the G League. I signed there for two two months and then got called up to San Antonio back again. But during that time, I was really doubting myself and wasn't sure if I was you know, going to be able to make this a career or be able to continue this as a career. I was you know, going to figure out where the routes I needed to go or, or do because it didn't seem like anybody was calling. I had the same faith in me as my family did or my coaches or, or I did in myself. So, um, But I continued to you know push and just stay persistent uh, until my opportunity came. Yeah, that's dope, man. I always like to hear those stories, man, because there's always people out there that are struggling, maybe doubting themselves or questioning if the career path they're taking is the right one. So I just always like to kind of share those stories and, and allow people to know that the success comes from the failure. For sure. Know, overcoming the, those trials, uh, de- rededicating yourself. Um, and, it, and it's okay. Like people don't understand that. It's okay to, to question yourself. It's okay to have anxiety, doubt, and to have those fears, but it's all about overcoming it. And I think that it's, it's dope that you shared that story, man. So I appreciate that. And For sure, man. I think the listeners out there will, will, will really appreciate it. Yeah. But Jordan, go ahead. You can hit on the uh, NBA. Yeah, Danny, you're having such a great year. I mean, if you look at the percentages, it's I, I don't, it's almost... I don't like to look at them. I was just talking to CJ earlier, man. That's the reason why it keeps me... I, mean, I feel like when I look at the percentages, it, I feel like it's bad luck for me. Oh, okay. But, um, so far, it's going well. You know what I'm saying? They try to tell me, you know, right? Well, oh, you're shooting this, this, I don't want to hear it. And then, you know, I feel like I'm going to start shooting terribly. <laughs> but I'm having a decent year so far. It's going it's going well. See, Wait, CJ, is that <laughs> – are you superstitious <laughs> like that too? No. I'm, you want to know. I'm the opposite. Like, I'm aware. I'm, like, aware of everything. I literally just got a breakdown of every three-pointer I've taken this season left to right, where I shot it from. Nick Nick uh, from B-Ball Breakdown wanted me to tell you what's up, by the way, but I just basically clipped every three-pointer I shot the last two years because I'm at a career low 35%. So I wanted to see if there was a difference in my pickup off the off the bounce. I wanted to see if, if there's a difference in my left-right versus the hop versus the right-left. So basically what I found is that I need to hop more. I'm left-righting too much, and I'm, my percentage is 
significantly lower on the left, right, as opposed to right, left, and hop. So I'm about to be hopping for the next 20 <laughs> games to see if, if, if that changes. <laughs> see, if that, <laughs> see if that changes my percentage. And something small like that is crazy. It could change a whole season. It could change a whole game. It could change a whole percentage. But um, I think for me, for more than anything, I'm not that superstitious. Most things I really don't care about. But I guess with the numbers I am, I'd just rather not. I'd rather just play and not think about it. Got you. But um, I just think it's all of a rhythm thing and a confidence thing. So regardless of what you're doing, you know, if you're confident in it, you're gonna be you're gonna be all right. And I think CJ will say he's, maybe he's thinking about it. I may be wrong, but maybe think he may be thinking about it more. The fact that it's, it's low, he knows the number that is low, and he's wondering why it's low, and maybe he's thinking about. But if he's you know just playing his game and shooting, and he's you know naturally career forty. 42% three-point shooter, you know, and then you just get back to that. You just get that confidence knowing that, you know, you leave me open. It's going in. Yeah. So, How long did it take for you, Danny, to get comfortable with Kyle, with Fred, with the bigs, obviously Serge? Um, just when when did it feel like, okay, I, I figured it out, and they figured me out, and we're going to start to really roll now? Uh, it, it was easier with, with um, Kyle and Fred. They're definitely more facilitators and great with pushing the pace. Um, those guys are easy to, to play with and get along with, you know. And obviously they're competitors. They're going to compete on both ends of the floor. Serge, too. But, you know, sometimes Serge, he's not the most natural. He's good. He's a decent passer, but he's not the most natural. You know, he, I wouldn't say tunnel vision, but his most natural thing is to say, go into the basket or get in a bucket or shooting. Right. And he's, you know, his afterthought is finding an open guy. But he can do it. He's very capable. We're just trying to make him consistent. And I'm trying to be more mindful of spacing with him, of how, you know, where he's going to be at, when he should roll, when he shouldn't roll, when he should pop, or when, you know, when he should set a screen and not set a screen for me on the sideline, they're probably going to trap me, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, spacing of when I throw it to him, I might come back for a DHL or, you know, so those type of things feel out. And so it took a little longer with Serge and, and still, we're still figuring each other out, but it was a lot easier with CJ, um, with Kyle and Fred. So, Danny, did you notice a difference in Kawhi? From San Antonio to Toronto, you know, obviously he's playing great, but from a perspective of leadership, style of play, has anything changed in your mind? For sure, big difference. Um, more so vocally than anything else. I mean, obviously he's always been great playing on the court in San Antonio and been himself. Um, probably more aggressive now than he was. I mean, he still was aggressive then, too. He's very similar on the court. I was younger, more exposed, still getting his legs back. He's getting more of his bounce back now. But vocally is the biggest difference of how he is talking more and trying to get these young guys in place and telling them what to do and voicing his opinion. You know, he didn't do them. Obviously, we didn't, I would say we weren't allowed to have, but we didn't, we weren't encouraged to speak our opinion, our mind that much in San Antonio. So it was a different atmosphere. And, you know, he was younger then. So he wasn't, you know, much of a vocal leader at that time. But, you know, I think now more so for, for sure, vocally leading this team more than I've ever seen him, you know, in his career. Uh, that's 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 great insight right there on the, on the Spurs culture right there uh, on seeing the the development internally externally on players and how he's becoming more comfortable in that vocal leadership role and obviously the Spurs culture you know twenty twenty years of fifty plus win seasons they're not going to encourage guys to really speak out and voice their displeasures on certain things exactly it was more so you know it was pop ran the show you know and it was we we did with it and not saying it's a bad thing. But it wasn't like a bunch of room of guys having a bunch of opinions and say this and do this. It was, you know, the coaches came together and they did what they said we were supposed to do. I said we do this, this is what we did. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, all right, this is what we're going to do. 
we just listened to what Pop had to say and what he wanted us to do. See, did you notice a difference when you guys played Toronto with Kawhi? Like, I don't know, maybe he was talking more or the way he was playing. Did anything stand out differently from Kawhi in San Antonio to Toronto? Well, he did say eight words to me. Uh, so I want to put that out there right now to everybody listening. Kawhi, Kawhi said eight words. He said, what's up, CJ? How you doing? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, he just seemed to be at peace. I think that was the biggest thing. There was a lot of stuff going on with him in, in San Antonio, a lot of discussions about the injury, you know, where, where he's going to go, what he thinks about his situation. I think he found his comfort. And based on his game, I think the only difference in his game is that his handle has improved. I don't know if that's because he was in a system where dribbling wasn't encouraged as much, you know, with the .5 rule, but I think his handle, his comfort level in the pick and roll, his handle in isolated situations is smoother when he goes from from dribble to pick up. It's really smooth. You can tell he's put an emphasis on combo moves and getting to certain spots. But in terms of interaction with his players, uh, I mean, I think he talks to them in terms of, you know, getting guys in certain spots or, or telling, you know, Van Fleet, because Kyle didn't play against us where he wants the ball at, uh, kind of directing you know to the coach where he'd like to get the ball at in certain situations. But his mannerisms are the same. He's quiet. He's to, he's to himself. Whether he dunks on you or whether he hits five threes in a row, he looks the same. <laughs> you, know, you can't tell if he's having a great day or a bad day based on his moods. Yeah, that's him. Danny, did, did any of the guys ask you going into the season, like how to – you know, about, about Kawhi, like, were they curious in leaning on you for that, or does that, or or no? Of course, of course, man. It was tons of, I mean, it was just anywhere, if you were, you know, affiliated with him, they're going to, everybody's going to ask you about it. So everybody in San Antonio got the questions. Everybody, when he got traded to Toronto, they all got the questions. And anybody that was close to him that was from San Antonio going to Toronto was going to get the questions. Um, so I was used to it. I knew it was coming. A lot of people thought I had insight, and that's the reason why pretty much my podcast kind of blew up, because people thought I had insight on what was going on in his mind and what he was wanting to do. I really didn't. I still don't. Um, we talk. We communicate. I think he's happy where he's at. I think he's enjoying it. Um, but I do not know his future and intentions <laughs> or where he wants to be at. But, um, yeah, I, I got I got tons of questions, man, all the time. I was asking, you know, what is he thinking? What is he doing? What is I don't know, what's this? How is that going to go? And at the time, I'm like, I don't have the guy's number. So, <laughs> honestly, you know, he changed his right. number at one point when I was at, we're in San Antonio going to, to Toronto. I, mean, I, don't, I, realized I haven't spoken to Dwight since he left, you know what I'm saying, the locker room in San Antonio. So I don't have his number. For you to think that I have some type of influence or insight or any information, I don't. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but, but I was used to it at that point. So we had gone through the whole Kawhi question of all year in San Antonio. And then finally, so we got here, he actually talked to the media. Now they have, they have, he has to talk to them. So the media can ask him as many questions they want. So there's a lot less questions on the outside from everybody else getting him. Um, everybody in this organization now getting him. But there's less now because he you know, has to talk to me. In the summertime, probably going to be a bunch of questions again. Yeah, that's a fact. That, that's the way it goes, though. I mean, with you being his teammate, they're going to look to you and have the most questions for you. But yeah. getting you back for the questions you asked me on your podcast, uh, Top five shooting guards in the NBA and hardest players for you to guard. Man, um, and I can I give you a pass. You can you can you can name ten random guards like I did if you don't want the headline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you my top my top um, shooting guards for sure. Um, I, I did like I said we did play Indiana last night, so Victor Oladipo for sure, Clay, Harden, Beal. And I'm gonna put I'm gonna put you in there, CJ. Um, I like Devin Booker's game, but I I don't think he. I said, I like, I, said, I don't know, I think that they, they're not winning enough yet or he, not, he knows how to win or lead a team yet. Um, I think you guys, are, you and Dame, you know, best scoring backcourt in the league 
you know, toughest backcourt to guard. Uh, for me, hardest guys to guard. There's, there's many different guys in different aspects of the game of of that. Uh, when it comes to chasing guys, JJ Reddick's probably the hardest guy to chase in the league. Him and Kyle Korver. Um, when it comes to guarding guys like one on one, obviously you know like there's uh, uh, Kevin Durant because he's seven foot and can shoot. And then there's guys like Jamal Crawford who have great handle, Kyrie who is very good with the ball. Um, so those guys are probably the toughest guys to guard. I think one on one. But everybody's tough. You know, everybody's tough to guard in different ways in the league just because of how good they are, what they do. And certain things are harder to guard for certain people. Whether it's chasing them over, you know, seven-footers setting screens on you or whether guarding them pick and roll or the guarding them just one-on-one. But, um, you know, I would say those are my top shooting guards. And I don't know if I would put Drew Holiday in that in that category because I don't know if he's a one-two. He's more of a combo. But I like Drew a lot, too. I'll put him up there. I appreciate that, man. And I, I agree with you on the chasing part. J.J. Reddick is a nightmare. Having to guard him in the playoffs, it was tough. The first quarter, Chris Chris Paul and DeAndre and Blake, every play was for him in the first quarter. So so if he got going, it was – Man. Man, the way, the way he moved. You, you knew the first five minutes would come to J.J. And, and DeAndre is going to be hitting them, hit you with screens. And Blake, those two guys are ridiculous. Uh, all the illegal screens in the world, man. So – yeah, I appreciate you sharing that insight, man. I think I think it's important play, uh, people out there listening realize that there are different types of hard covers. There's guys who are catch-and-shoot specialists who are extremely hard to guard. There's guys who who don't really try to score much, but those 15, 20 points they get a night is is costly. There's guys who just come off screens. There's guys who can do everything, like Kevin Durant, like a Kyrie, those type of players like James Harden who are going to score at all three levels, which really makes the game difficult. If a guy has a midi, he can finish at the basket and hit threes. It's, it's going to be a long night most nights. Yeah, I don't think people realize how hard it is defensively as it's going on each year because obviously they're officially doing it differently. But you know, everybody in this league is very talented at scoring in many different ways. And even though they're talented, it's still, you have to work for everything you earn. Every bucket you get, it's hard. You know, we make it look easy. You make it look very easy. It's hard to get a bucket, man. It's not easy to be scoring 15, 20 a night or so. So, you know, so everything you've got, and it, it, it takes a lot of effort. People look at some of these guys on the bench, like, oh, he's not that good. He's not a bum. He shouldn't be playing. That guy is really good and probably can give anybody you know 15, 20 points a night, um, you know, in the right circumstance. So, uh, so for the fans, those people listening out there, they don't really understand how talented guys in this league are offensively and defensively so fellas those tough covers with somebody like jj that's running around a lot getting dho's and having these just a litany of screens all over the floor staggers everything then when you gotta make a 25 footer yeah in the third (laughs) quarter fourth quarter that's when being in shape really matters right oh for sure yeah, that's that's crucial. For sure. You have no idea what the shape it is, man. So you're chasing somebody all night and then trying to score another end, too. Yeah, it's it's a nightmare. You know what it's like guarding one of the best players in the league or the best player in the league, and then you got to sprint your lane and you got to <laughs> knock down a three. Or you're coming off a double staggered or t- Toronto likes to run those dribble handoffs and you run in hard as you can. You got to turn, pivot, raise up, and then go back and guard. Like, that's a... That's a long 36 minutes, 35 minutes, or whatever it is. For sure. And I think that's the best way to attack certain scorers is to make them work on defense, too. Um, you know, Golden State, you know, a lot of guys, they let some of those guys off the hook by not, they don't have to play. Some of those guys, they have obviously have four or five all-stars. But if you make a guy like Steph guard and, and, and chase or, you know, guard somebody in the post or something like that on offense, he's going to be a little bit more tired. But if he's able to just hide out in the corner somewhere, 
you know, um, he's going to be, you know, very fresh on the offensive of the floor. So, you know, that's kind of one of the tactics that I think a lot of teams or coaches use or more, more should use anyway as attacking those guys. Obviously, they're great players on both ends of the floor, but if you want a guy to slow down a little bit, if you attack him a little bit more on defense, he'll probably won't have as much energy on offense than on the floor. That's a fact. The best, the best offense or the best defense is offense a lot of times and vice versa. For sure. But I ain't going to keep you too much longer, man. I appreciate you coming in. You gave us a strong 38 minutes, man. So I, I appreciate that. Once again, shout out your podcast. Shout out your Twitter handle. For sure, man. I wish you guys the best of luck. Appreciate you jumping on as well, man. Much love, man. We got to get you in the studio. Come check it out whenever you can and whenever. So no, we're not coming back there, but maybe next year or something. Come check out what y'all got you know, going set up or something. Yeah, for sure, man. And I spent a lot of time in the city, so I'm sure we'll, we'll come across each other uh, this summer. And um, we'll probably see each other during All-Star break, too, because you should be in a three-point contest, man. You should be, uh, regardless of what your percentage is, I, I won't tell it. but <laughs> Hopefully, should... man. Hopefully. You'll definitely be All-Star, but hopefully I can make it there to, to catch you, you know, <laughs> in the game. Man, watch, watch the game. Watch you play in the game. At least. Man, I appreciate that, man. We, we got to keep winning games, man. I think that's the biggest thing. Winning is rewarded, and for sure. you guys are doing a great job of that, so I'm sure your reward will come. Yeah, y'all will be all right. Y'all be all right. Y'all just there. Y'all getting everybody healthy. Y'all be cool. Y'all be all right. Really appreciate you, DG. Anytime, man. Anytime. So whatever y'all need me for, man. You got my numbers. You take it easy, bro. All right, man. Okay. Week two contestant announcement. Here are the winners for giveaway number two. At No Chill Khalil. Congratulations. I hope you enjoy what you're about to receive. At Vaz Life, <laughs> V A S L Y F E. Congratulations. At PDX Envy, another winner. Congratulations. At B S C H N Y D, Bashned. I hope I said that right. If I didn't, I apologize in advance. I appreciate you listening. We have another winner. At Rip City Caleb, shout out to Rip City. We always appreciate it. We will contact you guys on social, on social for shipping addresses and all that stuff. So, so stay locked in and continue to check out your Twitter feeds. All right, we're going to run it back. You know the drill. We'll be reading a trivia question on the show to give all the pull-up listeners a chance to win some leaning gear. You can leave your answer as a, repi- as a reply to the pinned tweet on pull-ups Twitter, and winners for this week will be contacted on Twitter and announced on next week's show. Also, again, in order to win, you must be following pull-up on Twitter. Good luck. Here's the question. What player holds the record for most consecutive double-doubles in one season since the NBA-ABA merger? Go. I wish you guys nothing but happiness and success on this Christmas. Eat as much as you can. Drink as much as you can within reason. Um, We're not going to do the wine corner. However, they have recommended Bailey's and coffee, and they said it goes great with cookies. I'm not sure because I've never had it. There's also the Pennsylvania Dutch eggnog. They say it's silky smooth and it goes great with cookies. So those are my tidbits for the day. Jordan, do you have any Christmas spirit routines or things that you normally do on Christmas with the family? Um, since it is Christmas, it's only right that I ask that you watch our game with my jersey on and cheer me on against the Utah Jazz from your couch. Not only do I watch your game with the jersey, but I wear a, I'll wear a Browns hat as a way of really communicating my uh, love of the Browns and the entire McCollum organization. And what I mean by that is all of the sad Browns fans in your family, this is my way of saying, you know what, I support you. 
I'm there for you, and I'm definitely there for CJ. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. I hope you have a dope Christmas. I'm sure we'll be talking uh, here shortly before Christmas. But one more thing to all our listeners out there. At this point in time, the Browns have a chance at making the playoffs. They do. In order for us to make the playoffs, these things have to happen. And this is this is exciting for Browns culture right now. We have six wins. The over-under in Vegas was six. So I'm really excited about this. In order for us to make the playoffs, we have to win our final two games. The Dolphins has to, have to lose one of their final two games. The Ravens have to lose to the Chargers. And the Colts and Titans need to lose in Week 16. So I'm saying there's a chance. And... It's going to happen. Speaking it into existence right now. But you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, radio.com <laughs> backslash pull up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up, pull up. <laughs>